0: This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the bow bandit of blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. In light of this uh, evolving novel coronavirus outbreak in China, uh, we're offering a bonus episode about what we know so far, what physicians should be looking for, and what this means for laboratories. So today, we're rounding with Dr. Matt Binneker, Director of the Clinical Virology and Vice Chair of Practice in the Department of Lab Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Binneker. You bet. Glad to be here. So kick us off with this novel coronavirus outbreak in China. What do we know so far?
1: Yeah, so it's a evolving topic for sure. We're getting new information almost every day. But what we do know is that beginning in around uh, December of last year, the Chinese health authorities began to observe a cluster of pneumonia cases. So lower respiratory illnesses, mainly in the Wuhan, China region. And interestingly, many of these patients had a shared history of uh, visiting a seafood market in the area. And actually that seafood market has been shut down um, on January 1st of 2020 because of this outbreak. Now almost all of those patients developed a fever. Uh, About three quarters uh, had a cough and about 50% developed shortness of breath and pneumonia-like illness. And what they did was they did deep sequencing, so sequencing of the respiratory samples from these patients and that showed this novel strain of coronavirus. I think it's important to highlight that coronaviruses are pretty common and Mm. a lot of us are infected with the -the run-of-the-mill coronavirus strains cause kind of a a cold-like illness. Uh, But in certain situations, and we've had three outbreaks over the last 15 years or so, there can be animal strains where coronaviruses like to hide out in terms of their reservoir and they can cross over into humans. We had one with SARS in 2003. We had one with MERS coronavirus, which happened in the Middle East in 2012. And then this most recent one uh, just last year with this novel strain of coronavirus.
0: Wow, so it sounds like for the students listening to this podcast, you know, this was a nice example of uh, epidemiology and, and public health and and also laboratory uh, laboratorians uh, working together to identify this new uh, novel coronavirus. So you mentioned a couple numbers. You mentioned a couple other outbreaks that have happened mm-hmm. in the infectious disease world. I'm curious uh, for listeners if we could kind of how does this novel coronavirus stack up to influenza?
1: Sure. It's a it's a really important question because there's so much news right now about this novel coronavirus strain. And I would say in um, certain um areas of the public, there's some fear and panic about it, but it's important to keep things in perspective. Mm. And so if we look at the numbers that helps us kind of apply some perspective Mm. to date, as of this morning, there were roughly 6,000 confirmed cases of this 2019 novel coronavirus strain worldwide. There's been about 130 deaths total since December. Okay. So over about the last month to six weeks. In comparison this year, when we look at influenza numbers, according to the CDC, there were, have been 13 million influenza cases, 120,000 patients that have require, required hospitalization, and over 6,500 flu-related deaths. So. This influenza season, there's been more influenza-related deaths than the total number of cases of novel coronavirus. So that applies some perspective.
0: Wow. Yeah, it does, actually. Yeah, quite a magnitude of, of difference. Uh, so what if uh, any of the listeners so far maybe have forgotten to get their uh, flu shot this year? Is there still any value in them uh, going out and getting that?
1: Yeah, there's definitely still time. Um, we actually saw a peak of influenza B early in the season. That's starting to decline. But now we're starting to see influenza A cases rise. So we may have influenza around for the next month. And so I would still encourage anyone who hasn't got their flu vaccine to go and get one.
0: Awesome public health message. So let's uh, transition now back to this novel coronavirus. Uh, What should, or it's an evolving... um, involved evolving outbreak uh, where can people go for really the best uh, reliable updates because we're going to put this podcast together we're sharing what we know today tomorrow's going to be a different day mm-hmm. where should folks go for the best information
1: yeah really important question again because there's so much news and publicity mm-hmm. about this strain because it's new, right? People, um, their ears perk up when they hear things that are novel and and uh, it sounds scary and frightening. It's really tempting to go out on the internet and find stories and get your information that way through Twitter, through Facebook, through other uh, social media platforms. But those. Uh, mechanisms always aren't the most reliable Mm. uh so what i'm recommending to any provider i talk to or even friends and family members is that they want the accurate information that the cdc website and the who websites are the most reliable places to go in terms of information numbers any data that we have um they're updating their information on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I go, and that's why I recommend others go as well.
0: Oh, fantastic. Now, uh, you mentioned healthcare providers. What should the healthcare provider really be uh, looking for?
1: Sure. Uh, it, it's challenging for healthcare providers because we have, as we talked about, this other pr- prominent virus circulating in the population called influenza. And we also have a lot of other... Viruses that can cause uh, cold-like symptoms, uh, respiratory viruses. So it's not like this novel strain is showing up at a time when we don't see other common respiratory viruses. So there's a couple things that we're recommending for physicians. When they see someone with a respiratory uh, illness, so uh, cough, fever, maybe body aches, That they ask the question, have you traveled to China or an area such as uh, Singapore, Thailand, Korea, where we've seen the larger number of cases of this novel coronavirus strain. And the travel really needs to be within the last 14 days or exposure to someone who has traveled to those areas recently. If they have respiratory symptoms and they've had travel history to China, or exposure to someone who's been to China, then we need to kind of increase our level of vigilance. Hmm. And um, we can talk about kind of what those steps involved and how providers should be following up if patients meet those criteria, respiratory symptoms and travel to China.
0: For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. I'm glad you mentioned that 14 days kind of period. Is that something that is... uh what we know from the epidemiology of this novel coronavirus or is that something we know from just about coronaviruses in general?
1: Yeah, so again we're still learning but we think that the incubation period for this new strain, and it's similar to other coronaviruses as well, can be up to 14 days. So patients that are exposed will likely develop symptoms and shed the virus in the uh, two week time frame. So that's why the current recommendation is to focus in on those patients who have had travel history within the last two weeks.
0: Fantastic, so we've uh, hit on uh, symptoms, we hit on really the importance of that travel. Let's transition now into the hospital clinical lab. Uh, You know, what do the laboratorians uh, really need to have in mind and what does this mean for the hospital clinical lab?
1: Yeah, uh, labs across the country are having to respond to this and put together plans working with infection prevention and control, infectious diseases. I just had a phone conference this morning with 100 people across the Mayo Clinic enterprise trying to develop all the plans to respond to this. That's
0: a busy phone call. (laughs) It's a busy phone
1: call, yeah, and and a lot of planning involved. Um, I will say that Clinical labs in the United States today do not have a test specific for this novel coronavirus. So the only tests that can reliably detect and tell us that this is a, the novel coronavirus strain are being performed at the Centers for Disease Control, and soon they'll distribute their test to the public health laboratories. So physicians can't just order up a viral culture or a PCR test and the labs in the United States able to tell them whether the, the patient has this new strain or not. That's the current situation today. Many labs also offer what's called multiplex respiratory panels, and those panels do include a coronavirus assay. But it's really important to state that we don't think that those coronavirus tests on those panels detect this novel coronavirus strain. So. Physicians likely will see positive results from patients for coronavirus, but that doesn't mean that those patients had this new strain.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's an important Very thing important. to highlight here. Is so you're saying that since, like you said, we've got coronavirus here in the United States. Um, uh, all around in our environments uh if i get sick uh with the coronavirus uh and somebody does testing i might come back with a positive result that's right that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean i guess i in the absence of that travel history or getting exposed to somebody that's traveled that i've got this novel
1: that's absolutely right so there will be physicians who are concerned there'll be patients who are concerned when they see that positive for a coronavirus come back from the lab that doesn't mean that they have this new strain. We really need to connect their clinical presentation back with their travel history, and then if there's that high suspicion, we need our physicians to work with their infection prevention and control, get a hold of their public health lab who will do some epidemiologic screening, determine whether testing for this new strain is appropriate, and if they determine it is, the testing will be done there at the CDC to actually confirm that that patient has this novel strain.
0: So to kind of put a highlight on this. So you're also saying that if somebody were not to take elicit the history of travel mm-hmm. uh, and were to send a, a sample down, even if I if I was truly positive for this novel cr- novel coronavirus, uh, it would be a negative result.
1: At the clinical lab. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, so that's, right. that's where that that history is important. I think that probably transitions into this next question I have, which we're really interested in the connection between uh, physicians, uh, healthcare providers at the bedside, mm-hmm. and communication with the hospital clinical lab. Could you just elaborate uh, on when should uh, physicians uh, pick up the phone? relative to this new uh, coronavirus outbreak? Yeah, I think
1: what you're talking about is communication. Um, And in these types of outbreak settings, uh, communication is just really, really important. Um, So if a physician sees a patient with a respiratory illness, again, that can be categorized by a a cough, um, body aches, a fever, things that you might see with influenza. Um, And then they ask the question, have you traveled recently uh, to China? Or looking at the CDC website, they may um, focus in on those countries where there have been the most cases. Have you traveled to any of these places? And the patient says, yeah, I was there seven days ago. Mm -hmm. The next step they need to take is they need to call their infection prevention and control group. They also need to get in touch with their public health laboratory, the state labs or the CDC. And then if any samples are being collected and sent to the hospital clinical labs or the clinical microbiology areas, they need to pick up the phone and call them as well because it can pose a risk to laboratory personnel, especially if they're setting up things like a viral culture or manipulating samples um, on a bench top. So really good communication's key, um, but the first two phone calls that physicians should make is to their infection prevention and control and to their state lab.
0: I hadn't thought about that before. You're you're talking about we, there have been, I believe, uh, documented cases of healthcare providers uh, getting uh, sick with this novel strain uh, that have been caring for these patients that have been ill, and a sample that goes down for a CBC or in my transfusion medicine world uh, for type screen, cross match, that kind of thing. There still could be an infectious risk, and yeah, we so- need to handle that with just. More awareness?
1: Yeah, what we think right now is that the highest risk is with respiratory samples. Okay. So uh, sputum samples, BAL fluid, not so much the blood and the urine. Okay. So what we have the highest um, kind of uh, awareness of is laboratory personnel working with the respiratory samples outside of a biosafety cabinet. We don't want them vortexing those samples. We don't want them pipetting those samples outside of a hood.
0: Oh, fantastic. So let's uh, kind of summarize a couple of the main takeaways uh, for our listeners today. Uh, So Dr. Binnaker, when when should we be suspecting this novel coronavirus? Again,
1: as we've kind of um, highlighted, the presence of a respiratory illness uh, with the three most prominent features being fever, cough, and body aches. Later on, patients can develop a pneumonia-like presentation with shortness of breath. So combining those clinical features with a travel history to the highly prevalent areas, the, the main one being China. So you put those two things together, that should raise the red flag uh, for vigilance and, and further investigation for this novel coronavirus.
0: And then second, what should uh, someone do if they suspect that their patient has been infected with their novel coronavirus? Call infection prevention and control
1: and contact their state health laboratory to determine whether specific testing for this virus is is warranted and then reaching out also to their clinical laboratory if they need to perform any testing for things like influenza or other common respiratory viruses so the lab is aware
0: excellent and then uh, thirdly as this is an evolving uh outbreak uh, where can folks go for the latest uh, and greatest information
1: cdc and the WHO both have up-to-date information on their websites. Uh, They keep track of numbers, they provide um, really helpful guidance to physicians and to lab personnel. There's guidance documents uh, for both of those groups on how to manage uh, patients and how to handle uh, samples within the laboratory. So those are the best locations to get the up-to-date
0: information. Fantastic, thank you so much. We've been rounding today with Dr. Binnaker about uh, the novel coronavirus outbreak. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this uh, trending topic with us. Be sure to check out the CDC and the World Health Organization websites as primary sources for this outbreak. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations.